Good morning. I'm so happy to be with you here today. If you don't know who I am, I am Melissa Mobley. I am one of the pastors here at Roswell United Methodist Church and at Chapel Roswell. And it is a privilege to come and share with you. Today we're going to be hearing from the Gospel of Matthew, the 14th chapter, verses 13 through 21. It's going to be up here on the screens. And how Jesus calls us not only to see miracles, but to be a part of them. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand, besides women and children. Miracles. Miracles are something that I would imagine we would all agree that we love. I mean, what is not to love about a miracle? They tell us about the seemingly impossible happening. There are stories where the blind see, the deaf hear, the broken are made whole, and like today's story, where the hungry are filled. This is an important story. In fact, it's so important that all four gospel writers include it in their account of Jesus' life. The miraculous feeding of over 5,000 people just can't be left out. It's too important to the life of Jesus and to the life of the church. It's a story that points out how Jesus provides not only spiritual needs, but provides for human ones. It's probably a story that people added to their repertoire of stories that they shared around the table. Much like we share stories around our Thanksgiving tables. I'm sure you did that this week. When they sat down and they gathered to break and bless bread together. It's a story that echoes from those Old Testament stories where manna fell from the sky feeding all of Israel, where Elijah fed a widow and her son and himself with just a jar of flour and a bottle of oil until those rains came, or that time when Elisha fed 100 men with just 20 barley loaves. All of these are stories about how God took a little, and made it enough for all. 
Or maybe it reminds us of those stories of Jesus where he healed the woman after she touched the hem of his garment. Or the paralytic who got up and walked. Or how blind Bartimaeus suddenly could see. This story, like all of those stories, is mesmerizing. Jesus feeds what amounts to a small town. Not just 5,000, but maybe 10 or 15,000 when we account for the women and children. And he does it all with five loaves and two fish. That's impressive. And it can cause some trouble. The problem with miracles is because of their awesomeness, we tend to focus our attention on God's responsibility and forget our own. We allow them to let us off the hook because they appeal to the part of us that is more than happy to let Jesus and God do all the work to feed the people and to save the world. And we figure we don't have what it takes anyway. I mean, that's a big job. And we probably don't really have enough to make a difference. So we hold back, failing to notice that each time a miracle happens, it also involves some human action. But moving our eyes from the spectacular to those tiny details can reveal so much more. It helps us see how we're invited to stop waiting for miracles and instead ask to participate in them. Moving to action, it helps us loosen our grip on only seeing after our own needs, reimagining the possibilities, and transforming us into the people that God has called us and created us to be. Now, when the story begins, Jesus is having a bad day. We're told that while, when he heard this, he withdrew. Well, let me tell you what the this is that he heard. He heard about the grisly death of his cousin, his friend, and his ministry partner, John the Baptist. Now, you probably remember some things about John the Baptist. He's the one who leapt inside of his mother's belly when Mary came because Jesus was near. He's the one who proclaimed that the Messiah, Jesus, had come. And he is the one who baptized Jesus. Who could blame Jesus for wanting to be alone after receiving news like that? I think we all would feel that way. And so he goes and he climbs into the boat, leaving the crowd, and makes out for a lonely, deserted place except that the crowds hear about it. And they make haste, and they follow after Jesus on foot, nevertheless, and they beat him there. So that when he arrives and he climbs out, the, out of the boat, thinking that he's going to have a moment to himself, what he finds is that the crowd that he left has come along on this journey with him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't say, go away, I need to be by myself right now. 
but rather Jesus has compassion on them, and he goes to work. Jesus releases his grip for the moment on his own need for solitude and begins to help. He shifts his focus from inward to outward and offers compassion. But what is compassion? I think we sometimes easily confuse compassion with sympathy or empathy and kind of reduce it to a feeling, to an emotion. But it's really, it's more than that. And Jesus, his example reminds us of this. It's an action. It's something we do. And we, like Jesus, offer compassion when we act out of the heart. What Jesus does is at the heart of who he is. What Jesus shows us is that we are to act out of the heart of who we are created to be. But in truth, it's not even at the heart, but it is of the heart. Because compassion springs up from our hearts when they're moved by the awareness of another's needs. When we encounter someone or something and we begin to feel that urge within us, that shifting of the spirit, that we have to do something, and we know that unless we do something, that it's just not going to feel right. You know those moments in your life. We have to respond. Those are the moments when we're acting with compassion. Compassion leads with the heart and it comes from the heart and it shifts our focus from ourselves and our needs and our resources and it leads us to love the person who is in front of us as instinctively as we care for ourselves. But that's not easy. I don't think anyone here would be like, oh yeah, I can do that all the time. Because it's not. It's a hard thing to do. Because we are more prone to take care of ourselves and to expect the same of everyone else. And Jesus knows this. And the disciples, they surely remind us that it's true. Because as the day is coming to a close, what do they do? They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you need to send all these people away so they can go into town and get something to eat. Now, in honesty, that's a really practical thought because the disciples, they know what it is that they have with them, and they know that that's probably doesn't feel like it's going to be enough to feed this massive crowd. But then Jesus challenges them. Jesus challenges them to reimagine the possibilities by offering a better idea. Jesus says, tell them not to go away, but instead... You give them something to eat. Now, I can hear the protest already. Jesus, didn't you just hear us say that they need to go into town to get something to eat? There's just not enough here. The disciples, they see scarcity. They see people that have no lunchboxes or backpacks with them, and they assume that they didn't bring anything out there with them. But Jesus operates out of a different set of assumptions. Jesus sees plenty. He sees lots of people. 
lots of food, and lots of possibilities. Maybe he didn't know exactly how it was going to work out, because I always think that if he if we knew how it worked out exactly, then wouldn't the gospel writers have kind of described that to us? They all four wrote about it. And Jesus, Jesus was fully human and fully divine. So maybe he didn't know exactly how it was going to work. But nevertheless, he takes what is at hand. He breaks it, and he gives it to the disciples to share. This is maybe the most profound thing that Jesus does in this entire story. He asked the disciples, the people, to reimagine the possibilities for giving food to the hungry crowd. And when they can't do it, he gets to work, showing his lordship over all that is involved, but also bringing them in to be a part of the work. Because Jesus knows that wherever there is plenty of God, there will be plenty of everything else. And compassion is contagious. The people, they saw Jesus put aside his own hurts that day. And just for a moment, he began to spend time healing their sick. And then they saw the disciples hand over all that they had, those five fish and those two pieces of bread. They saw intentional choices being made. And I wonder if that didn't inspire them to do likewise. Because surely their mothers didn't send them out into the wilderness without a pack of crackers or a box of raisins. Because if you have children, you know you don't go anywhere without a pack of crackers or some goldfish or a box of raisins tucked into the car or into your purse. And maybe they were sitting there and some friends were gathered around and somebody said, hey, what's that in your pocket? Is that a sandwich wrapped up? Why don't you tear that in half, and we'll eat half of it, but let's put the other half in the basket when it comes around. Did they stop worrying about what it was that they didn't have, and then begin to see what it was that they did have? Did they change their perspective so that all had enough? Many years ago, I served a very small church. And when I say a small church, this church was smaller, the congregation was smaller than most Sunday school classes, Bible studies, or even small groups here at Roswell. They had a long history. They'd been there for over, over 100 years, really almost close to 200 years. They were also really aware that their days were coming to a close. But that never stopped them from looking for ways to help other people. Now, many of them had lived through hard times. They were an older congregation. So they remembered the Depression. They remembered life through wars. And then they remembered the recession. They knew what it was to have plenty. And they also knew what it was to not have enough. And so they had decided years ago that they were going to make sure every year that children in their community had Christmas. This was going to be their thing. And so each year, this small band of people, it was about 25 of them, would gather together at Christmas time, and they would collect and distribute toys for Toys for Tots. And then they would take can after can after can 
to the local food pantry. And then they would come together, donating, donating what they could to pack boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Some of you did that this year here. And the last time I was with them was the year that they were going to close. They already knew they had voted this in, that this was going to be their thing. And about 10 of them had gathered on a really rainy, cold Thursday afternoon. And they kind of looked at the items that they had brought, and they had gathered and sorted out on the tables, and they began to worry that there wasn't going to be enough to pack their usual 100 boxes. Now, I assured them that it was all going to be okay. I said, we're going to pack these boxes, and whether it's 10 boxes or 100 boxes, there's going to be a child that's going to be happy that they receive this box. And in the back of my mind, I just wanted to say, y'all, give yourselves a break. There's like 25 of y'all. Most people, churches, congregations of size, don't pack 100 boxes. So y'all are just doing good. Don't worry about it. But I held my tongue because I knew it was important. And we prayed over the stuff and we set to work. It was a great time of community because these people, they really needed to be together that day. And they knew it. And they had every reason really to not want to do the work. I mean, there weren't enough people could have been a great excuse. Or we don't really have enough resources because at the time they really didn't. Turning on the lights was sometimes a little bit of a challenge. But yet as they worked, they began to share stories of life in that community about how they had helped each other out and seen grace in their lives. They told about people bringing food, about helping pay a bill, or loaning them a car so they could get to work. They told them how these acts reminded them to do the same. And then one woman summed it up very simply by saying, you know, in truth, it's not really what is mine is mine and what is yours and your is yours. She said, because what we pray for is we pray for our daily bread, not my daily bread. And it all comes from God. And she was right. All the resources, all the things had come from God. And that day they had gathered to pack what they had and to share it with others. And amazingly what happened at the end of the day when they had packed those boxes so they didn't pack 100 boxes. No, they packed 150 boxes that year. There were boxes for Operation Christmas Child in every corner of that fellowship hall because they didn't think they had enough, but yet they still came and they did the work, and it was more than they had ever imagined. They chose to act with compassion for those that they didn't even know. And by this, I think that they were truly changed. Grace inspires and fuels our compassion. Our response to grace is to live more graciously, and this motivates our compassion. We're transformed by grace. But transformation, that's hard work. I know it's true because I watch PBS, and PBS has told me that it is true that transformation is hard work because I learned a few weeks ago that there are two kinds of metamorphosis. There's complete metamorphosis, which happens in four stages, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, 
And then there's incomplete metamorphosis, like an egg to a chick to a chicken. But only one kind requires participation from the being that is involved, and that's complete metamorphosis. And the disciples that day, they're not fully transformed, just as none of us are fully transformed. We're on that journey. But the more they look to Jesus and respond to Jesus, the more they grow and move on toward that complete transformation to be who God has created them to be. Jesus shows us that day the importance of caring for the physical needs as well as the spiritual ones. To not send people away when we think that our resources are too limited, but instead to make choices to channel our feelings into action and to offer help. To be the trendsetter by being the first to turn our pockets inside out. To be the one on our block who gets the ball rolling by starting a miracle. Jesus calls us to show compassion just as he has shown compassion to us. And it's by this that we are changed. Today, in just a little while, we are going to come to the table, to Christ's table. And we're going to share in a meal. Sharing a meal is one of the primary ways for creating and maintaining community. When we gather at the table, we remember and we repeat Jesus' words and actions. We hear Jesus telling us that no one needs to go away, but that instead, he bids them to stay while we give them something to eat. Words that may scare us. Words that may make us feel like we have so little. Until we hear Jesus say, bring it here to me. And then next week, we're going to begin moving into the season of Advent. And as we do that, I'm going to invite you to think about over the next week what it is that you need to bring to Jesus. What is it that you need to bring to Jesus so that you can participate in a miracle? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to reimagine? And what do you need to be transformed by so that others see Christ? And once you name this and you know what that thing is, remember how it's Jesus that satisfies hunger, that binds us together, that heals brokenness, and that strengthens us so that we can act with compassion and participate in the miracles that help serve and change the world. Amen.